Okay, uh, can I invite you to um, open your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. The Word of God where it says, after Jesus said this, that is, to take heart that he has overcome the world, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be, sanctifi- may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for me, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you in me and I am in you, may you also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am, And to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved them before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. 
and they know you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thanks, Ben. Uh, just before we begin, uh, I just wanted to say thanks to Scott for coming along uh, this morning, obviously, and, and speaking about CMS. We as a church support missionaries um, out of our shared budget, um, but it's also helpful, I think, for us as individuals to be committed to um, uh, supporting at least one missionary personally so that we don't lose that immediate connection uh, between us and mission work. So if you're not supporting mission work, can I ask you to think and to pray about whether Kate might be someone that you can support? Uh, And also, if you're not getting updates from a... If you're not supporting a mission agency, if you're not getting regular updates from a a mission agency, let me ask you to consider uh, speaking to Scott and uh, grabbing some of the information from CMS uh, and and being updated uh, by them regularly on the kind of work that they're doing. Let's uh, pray and and think about God's word. Let's pray. Dear Lord Heavenly Father, um, it may not be the diagnosis that we would give of ourselves or of our world, but we are starved for your glory. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would do what is utterly beyond our power to do, and that is to show us your glory. And to so set our hearts ablaze, Lord, that we can endure this week and our lives because we know you, the one and only God. And that we might be able to share that knowledge with those who, like us, are starved for the glory of God. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, next Sunday is Father's Day, apparently. I don't care anything about any of those days in the calendar. Uh, Though I hear in Korea that there's a Children's Day. That's great, isn't it? Um, uh, So so good on Korea. Um, You know, but Father's Day is that day when when we celebrate our fathers, people celebrate their fathers, or to be be bluntly honest and entirely cynical, it's when the um, commercialism of our world and the shops and the card manufacturers tell us that we should celebrate our fathers by buying flowers and buying cards and all those kinds of things. Um, Perhaps it's better to celebrate our fathers every day than on just one day of the year. But uh, whatever the case may be, that will be easier for some of us rather than others next Sunday. Uh, While every one of us has a father, uh, sadly not everyone's experience of their father is the same or as good. Some people's fathers have been abusive uh, and have left them with deep scars, which take a lifetime sometimes to heal. Uh, Other people don't even know their father, whether that's because their father left before they're even born or later in life or because their father has passed away. And even those of us who do have good fathers are only too aware that our fathers aren't perfect. Even the best fathers are flawed and they make mistakes and they get stuff wrong. But whatever our own personal experience of our fathers or other people's fathers has been, most of us will have strong ideas about what it means to be a father. 
what's good, what's bad, what people should be like, what fathers should be like or shouldn't be like. But what do we do when it comes to God describing himself as a father? How do we understand that? How do we prevent prevent ourselves from understanding God's fatherhood as a kind of pale reflection of human fatherhood? Or how do we stop our view of God as the father? How do we keep that from being unhelpfully influenced by the bad models of fatherhood that we've seen? Well, if you weren't here last week, as Ben said, we started thinking about uh, the God who is one God, but three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And today we're, we're focusing on God as the Father. Uh, what does that mean? We want to come to uh, the Bible, not with our own ideas of what fatherhood is and what it should be like, but we want to come to the Bible and try and understand what the Bible says about who God is as the Father, who the Father is. And maybe the most important thing to say first up is that the Father has been the Father from all eternity. You see, it's tempting for us, I think, to understand the fatherhood of God first and foremost in relation to us. What does it mean that God is our Father? But actually, the Father is not the Father because He is our Father. God is, the Father is a Father because He is the eternal Father of the eternal Son. It's the Father's relationship with God the Son which makes him the Father, not his relationship with us. Father is not just a title that he's kind of adopted to help us understand who he is. Father is part of who he is eternally. It's part of his being. So the place that we need to begin in trying to understand who the Father is, is with the relationship between the Father and the Eternal Son. And the place where we find out most about that is in John's Gospel. We read some of that from John chapter 17. And in that chapter, we see this special relationship between the Father and the Son. So verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. Jesus prays that the Father would glorify him. And it becomes clear as the chapter goes on that that glory that he's asking the Father to give him is not a new thing. But it's something which Jesus always had. So verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus has always had that glory. One of the great purposes of the Father, then, is to glorify the Son. Not because the Father has to glorify the Son, because he's obliged to glorify the Son, but because that's what he wants to do. It's his greatest desire. Glorifying the Son is the Father's gift to the Son. It's his gift. Just as the Son glorifying the Father is his great gift in return. And so it's for that reason, in verse 2, that we read, For you granted him, that is, the Father has granted Jesus, authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given to him. So because the Father wants to glorify the Son, then he gives the Son authority, authority over everything. Now, back in John 3, we find the same thing. There's, you might have got a handout on the way in. There's a whole lot of Bible verses there. So in John 3 on that sheet, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. He's given everything into the Son's hands. Or John 16, all that belongs to the Father is mine. There's nothing that the Father has which he hasn't shared with the Son. 
Uh, You might remember if you were here last week from John 5 that the Father shares everything with the Son there as well. So Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. It's this beautiful picture of the Father sharing his tasks and his work and his life with his Son. It's the Father saying to the Son, everything that's mine is yours. It's like when a father says to his son, come on, let's go out together and let's work on the car together. You come and help me, come alongside me. Or when he brings him into his workplace and he, and he teaches him what it is that he does every day of the week and he, and he invites him to share in that. And then as he grows in responsibility, he gives him authority over the things that he's doing. The father says to the son, everything that's mine is yours. And so the father teaches the son, Jesus says in John 8, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus only speaks, he says, what the Father has taught him. The implication is, of course, that the Father is, is teaching him, showing him what to do. It's important, I think, for us to realise that none of that diminishes Jesus as God, Rather, what it does is it establishes and it defines the beauty of this eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. The Father loves the Son and shares everything he has with him. The Father wants to honour the Son uh, and the Father wants to see others know and love the Son as well. And all those things, those desires of God to honour and share everything with Jesus are grounded in this deep knowledge and love that the Father has for the Son. So John 10, I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. There's this relationship of intimate knowledge. And and back in those passages from John 3 and John 5, the reason that the Father has loved the Son is, uh, sorry, the reason the Father has shared everything with the Son is because of his love. John 3, the Father loves the Son and so has placed everything in his hand. And John 5, the Father loves the Son and so shows him all that he does. In other words, at the very heart of God is this deep love that the Father has for the Son. And this deep desire that the Father has to share everything with the Son and to honour the Son. Why is that important? Why do we need to begin the fatherhood of God there? Uh, and not somewhere else. Well, we need to grasp uh, the Father's love for the Son, not just because it's a nice point of interest, as though we can kind of sit back in our armchair, having worked it out, and say to ourselves, well, isn't that nice? The Father loves the Son. Therefore, he must love me too. That's, that follows, but uh, eventually, but that's not the point. Now, the Father's love for the Son is at the heart of who God is. And because the Father's love for the Son is at the heart of who He is, that's also at the heart of God's plan and purpose for the world as well. Everything that God does is because of His love. Everything that the Father does is because of His love for the Son. 
It's at the heart of God's plan of salvation. At the heart of God's plan of salvation is not first and foremost his love for us, but his love for the Son. He wanted to honor and glorify the Son. He wanted to make a bride for his Son. A people who love him, who, 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 who honor him. The Father's love for the Son is at the heart of God's relationship with us. I remember someone once saying um, that the Father's great purpose for the world and everything that happens is that God wants us to know and love his son, Jesus. That's it. That's that's God's great purpose. It's the Father's great purpose is that we might know and love his son, Jesus. But so often we begin thinking about the fatherhood of God with what it means for us. And the result is that we completely distort who God is and who we are in relationship to him. We become the most important concern for the Father rather than the Son being the most important concern for the Father. We become God's chief aim and interest rather than the Son being the Father's chief aim and interest. Uh, The Father's purpose becomes first and foremost about glorifying us. And God's goal becomes making us happy. But if we understand the fatherhood of God as being focused first and foremost on Jesus then we get everything in the right proportion. The Father loves the Son and He wants us to love the Son. The Father's desire is to honour the Son so that we would honour the Son. The Father's desire is that we obey the Son just as the Son obeys the Father. And as I said, even in salvation, the Father's purpose is to glorify the Son and to make a bride, a people for him. If we miss that, if we misunderstand that, we misunderstand the world, we misunderstand salvation, and we misunderstand our lives, and we misunderstand God. And it's worth stopping, I think, and, and, and thinking to ourselves, if the great purpose of the Father is to love and honour the Son, and that we would love and honour the Son, then it's a great question for, for us to ask, Is that true? Do I love and honour Jesus? That's the Father's great purpose for us and for the world. Do you love and honour Jesus? I'm not asking, do you know who Jesus is? I'm not asking, have you entrusted your life to Jesus? I'm asking, do you love him? Do you delight in him? Has there ever been a moment where you've thought, wow, I really love Christ? Ever a moment of pleasure in thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done? And not even just what he's done for you, but who he is in himself. Any joy in that? Any desire to know him more? You know, like Paul, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. Apostle Peter says in um, one of his letters, 
He says, even though you have not seen him, you love him. Not, even though you've not seen him, you trust him. That's great. <laughs> even though you've not seen him, you sing songs about him. Even though you've not seen him, you, you, you pray to him. doesn't say that. He says, even though you have not seen him, you love him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the salvation of your souls. That's what salvation is. Actually. To love the son. Whom the father loves. And if you haven't got that. You've missed it. The whole purpose of our salvation. The whole purpose of the world. And everything that's in it. Is the glory and the honour of the son. That's the father's great desire. So the Father is the Father, irrespective of of us. He's the Father because He's the Father of the Eternal Son. But the great miracle of the Gospel is that God invites us to be part of that. He invites us to be His children, to be His sons. The miracle is that the relationship between the Father and the Eternal Son comes to define our relationship with God. The Apostle John writes in his first letter in the New Testament, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. What is it? That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Another place in the New Testament that talks about sonship and the benefits of our sonship is in Ephesians chapter 1. There in verse 3, Paul immediately begins by talking about the fatherhood of the Father and the sonship of Jesus. And he goes on to show how that has been shared, that the the, the sonship of, of Jesus has been shared with those who belong to him. So he writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, that is in Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for what? He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. God's great gospel plan is for us to be adopted into his family through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that our sonship is modelled on Jesus' sonship. Our sonship is like his, but different. He's the real son, but we're the adopted sons. And not everyone is a son. But adoption as a son of God comes through the gospel, through the good news of what God has done in Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, God says you're you're not his child. But if you do know Jesus and you've entrusted yourself to him, then God adopts you into his family. That is a huge privilege. So what does it mean that we're adopted into God's family? Well, there's a number of things. In the first place, it means familiarity. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that through the Spirit we call God Abba Father. That is, we call Him Dad. It's this relationship of familiarity. Um, God becomes uh, to us not just a far-off kind of deity who who lives in in a distant world and that we can never relate to. 
but he is a loving father. He's our dad. In the second place, our adoption into God's family means that we can come to God with our requests. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he teaches them to begin with those words, our father. Not the father, but our father. And not our God, but our father. And Jesus says that because God is our loving father, he gives us all that we need. And he gives us good gifts rather than bad gifts. So Matthew 7, Jesus likens the fatherhood of God to human fathers. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If you've been adopted into God's family through Jesus, then the father is your father, And you can come to him with requests and know that he will hear you. So often I think we think that God is in the business of of giving bad gifts. Maybe maybe that's our own personal experience of our own fathers, I'm not sure, you know, sort of, oh, hankies, thanks, thanks, Dad, Uh, uh, or whatever it might be. But I, I think that for many of us, we think that God is in the business of giving bad gifts. So we subconsciously think that God will give us the very opposite of what we ask for. So sometimes I think we don't even pray because we fear that if we pray, God will just give us something else. He'll give us, uh, you know, God's, God's great aim in life is to make our life difficult. That's what we think. His aim is not to give us what we want because what we want is always sinful. I think that's probably the, the subconscious idea that we have. But that's not the God that Jesus describes. Jesus describes the Father as a loving Father. He's not a merciless tyrant. He's a God who delights to give good gifts to his children. He's a God who delights to hear their requests and a God who delights to answer them. And so we can come to God. You can come to God with great confidence and ask him for what you want and what you need because he is your loving father. In the third place, our adoption into God's family means we get an inheritance. It means familiarity. It means God hears our requests. In the third place, it means we get an inheritance. You might wonder why Paul says in Ephesians 1 that we're adopted to sonship. Why are we all sons? Why are not some of us Daughters, you know, instead. Why are we all sons? Well, it's because in the first century, inheritance was tied up with sonship. It was the sons who inherited everything from their fathers. It was the sons who got the land. It was the son who got the the, the family business or whatever it was. And Paul's point is that through adoption into God's family, we share in that inheritance. We share in the inheritance of God. We share in the inheritance of the son, of Jesus. We get to share in that. What's the inheritance? Well, it's life in the world to come. So Romans chapter 8, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. What does that mean? It means if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. What is the inheritance that we have? It's a world put right, a world which is currently groaning as in the pains of childbirth under the curse of sin. It's a world put right. That's the inheritance and it's our place in it, the redemption of our bodies. The inheritance we have as adopted children of the Father through Jesus is life in the world to come, life in a world put right by God through Jesus. It was laced all the way through Hebrews 11. I don't know if you noticed it. The promise, the inheritance, the share in something to come. The greatest gift that the Father gives us as his children is not a good day, though he might give us that, The greatest gift that the Father gives us as his children is not a convenient parking space, though you might get that too. The greatest gift that we get as the Father's children is salvation. Life in the world to come. A world put right. Redemption of our bodies. In the fourth place, our adoption into God's family means intimacy with God. So back in John 17 that Ben read, um, although Jesus doesn't there use the language of sons of God, the idea is clearly there because Jesus wants his followers to share in in the kind of relationship that he has with his father. So in verse 11, Jesus prays, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. That's Jesus' prayer, that they may be one as we are one. Uh, Jesus wants us to have a similar kind of unity with him and the Father. Uh, It's not the exact same unity. It can't be because God is God from eternity past and we're not. But it's nevertheless a a profound unity. Uh, Elsewhere in the New Testament, we get a glimpse of that. The Spirit of God comes to dwell in us and to unite us with God in some spiritual sense Uh, the apostle peter writes uh, his divine power god's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires so peter says somehow through the gospel through the work of Christ, uh, somehow we come to participate in the divine nature. It's not that we become God, uh, but the very Spirit of God comes to make his home in us and to unite us uh, with the Father and, and with the Son. When God becomes our Father through the gospel, it's not just that we get to call him by a new name, but we are connected with him in some profound sense. We're joined with him. He takes up residence with us, together with the Son. And that's not all. In the fifth place, our adoption into God's family means sharing in God's glory. 
Jesus says that he has given his followers glory like the Father gave him glory. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. It's an extraordinary statement. In Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 48, God says basically there, he's not going to give his glory to another person. And here Jesus says, I've given them your glory. Extraordinary. The glory that we try and steal from God in every act of sin is the very glory that God shares with us as a gift through the gospel. What we try to steal, God gives to us as a gift. As a gift from a loving father. In the sixth place, then, our adoption into God's family means receiving God's love. Jesus says in John chapter 17 that the great aim of God's salvation program, or one of the great aims, is that the world might know that the Father loves us just as he loves Jesus. It's John 17 verse 23, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's easy, I think, for us to skip over that sentence and just sort of take it for granted. But Jesus is saying there that the Father loves his children in Christ as he loves his own son. If you are in Christ, you are loved. You are loved by a heavenly Father who loves you as he loves the eternal Son of God. No one else might love you, but the Father loves you. Your own Father may not love you, but the Heavenly Father loves you. Loves you with the love that he had for his own Son. Why does God, the great King and Lord of the universe, allow us to call him Dad? Why does he hear our requests and give us good gifts? Why does he give us an inheritance, a share in the world put right? Why does he allow us to share in the glory that we've tried to steal from him? The answer is... If we're in Jesus, he loves us as his own son. Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And my father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. The path to the love of the father is through receiving the son. God loves and adopts us as sons when we receive Jesus. And the great miracle of the gospel is that the eternal father becomes our father. But maybe the most extraordinary thing about all of that is, is that our sonship from the father comes at the expense 
of the one and only Son. It's one thing, isn't it, to say that God adopts us into his family and to say that God loves us as he loves his own Son. And so that God enables us to share in the inheritance of the Son. But to say that all those things come at the expense of the Son, at the cost of the Son, that's something entirely different altogether. Jesus says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The most extraordinary thing about the gospel is that God makes us his children through the death of his own son. Our adoption comes at a great cost, the death and the resurrection of the one and only son. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, asks the question, what is a Christian? And the answer he gives is this. Someone who has God as father. If you've received Christ, then you are loved. You are loved by the heavenly father. Loved as he loves his own son. You're adopted into his family. You're made his child. He hears your requests and gives good gifts. And he is with you and has granted you a share in the world to come when he will give you even to share in his own glory. Amen.